we're going to take care of her. And my brothers feel the same way. You know, she will never go to a home as long as it's within our physical ability to care for her. I think is really a gift. It's a gift for her because had she been put somewhere at the beginning, she wouldn't be where she is now. She'd be sitting in a chair somewhere withering away. And for her to be, you know, the example my parents set and saying, that's not good enough, kind of set up the whole rest of her story to say it's valuable to her to give her these really good quality of life experiences. And hey, bonus, it's really good for her health that she's doing this, regardless of the fact that it's just bringing her joy. You know, it's good for her physically. She's as healthy as you know, and my parents got to the point where the doctor said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. Hi, my name is Scott Schweitzer, and I am the Clydesdale. My friends Amy Radowski, Charlie Yodi, Kat Shear love fitness as a sport as much as I do. We are all 40 plus Masters Age athletes who give all we have to lead a healthy, active life. We also want to bring you athlete interviews, human interest stories, and all the news surrounding the sport of fitness. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a five-star rating and writing a review. We are also available with full video on YouTube at the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends Podcast, as well as all traditional podcast platforms. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Clydesdale underscore fitness and friends. And now off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. Hey everyone, this is the first crossover event of the Shred podcast and the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. Uh, this is going to air on both platforms, and this is the first time we're doing this, and I'm really excited, and we have an exceptional story to share with you today. Uh, I have Amy Holly with me, and her sister Erin uh, has gone through a really big journey uh, from the time, I, even before the time I met them in 2011 uh, till today. And so it's been a long journey, and we're gonna kind of walk through that process and I have Marcus Creatura with me, and I have Amy Radowski, and I'm Scott. So uh, let's get started with Aaron. You guys, you guys grew up here in the Columbus area? Mm-hmm. My dad has taught in the Columbus area for 35 plus years, so we've always been in this area. And Aaron was very a- an active child. Yes, my, I'm, there are five, of, five children in our family. I'm the oldest, Aaron's the second. My parents always felt very strongly that we should each have our own identity, our own activity. That was something that we excelled in. So Aaron started early on uh, as a gymnast and quickly proceeded through the levels and was an elite gymnast when she hit a major growth spurt and ended up at 5'10", <laughs> which quickly ended her gymnastics career. So that kind of set her up as an athlete, gave her a really good foundation and then from there, she trans- transferred into volleyball in middle school and became an elite volleyball player as a high school student. 
And really successful? Did she win awards or? Very successful. Don't ask me to give the list of her awards because I can't do that, Scott. <laughs> but she did then proceed to play volleyball at Ohio Northern. Uh, she had just finished up her freshman year uh, playing volleyball. She was known for working out with the football team because the girls weren't tough enough. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a common fixture with the football team in the gym at Ohio Northern. And she played all four years? She had just finished her freshman year when she had her accident. Okay, okay. I, I'm not as clear on the timeline, yeah. so it's great that I'm getting to learn all this. Yeah, yeah. So it's after her freshman year, and she has a traumatic accident. So she came home um, her freshman year. She was home. It was rocky at home, as it is typically at that that age, 19 years old, you know, coming home from your first year of college. And um, she had gone out to Red, White, and Boom with some friends, a couple of friends. She had dated one of the guys previously, but they weren't currently dating. So they had gone to Red, White, and Boom. I had gone out that night as well, was home, sleeping. I remember waking up at like 2 in the morning. Something woke me up. And Erin was at home. And I remember thinking she is in so much trouble. Um, because she wasn't home in time, on time. And shortly after that, my parents came upstairs to my room and said that there had been an accident. Um, they knew that Aaron was okay, that Aaron was alive. They knew that someone had died, but they didn't know who. And they were leaving to go to the hospital. And so that's... that's that, was, that was the night. That was July 2nd, uh, 99. So... I was kind of home waiting then at that point. Um, you know, I can go on and on, but the quick version is there There had been a drunk driver coming up I-71. He had been called in multiple times. The police were aware of him. Uh, they were trying to get to him. Before they got to him, he got off at the 36-37 exit where Tanger Outlets is now. And... Erin and her friends were on motorcycles. She was on a bike with her friend Steve, and their other friend Corey was next to them. And they had a third friend who was ahead and saw the van coming and was able to get out of the way, but the van went left of center down into a ditch, and when he came back up, he hit the two bikes head on. Um, Erin was found 60 feet away in a cornfield when the medics arrived. Uh, she was wearing a helmet. Her friend Steve had absorbed the majority of her of the impact of the vehicle. Um, they didn't know until later that there was a third bike or a third person. The second bike was pinned under the van, um, and they didn't know it until they started to move the van. So, my parents actually have news footage. They had seen it on the news. The accident. They had seen pictures of them bringing Aaron they of course they didn't know it was her, her. Oh coming out of the ditch being put in the ambulance um so they finally were able to get a hold of my parents in the middle of the night to to bring them to the hospital my mom and I've heard this story so many times so it's easy to replay but when my mom was taken to Aaron's room she didn't recognize her because of course they had filled her with fluid to kind of support her organs uh, they had shaved a portion of her head and essentially inserted a bolt into her head that was measuring the pressure of her brain. I think now they will remove a piece of your skull in that situation, but they didn't do that at the time. Um, like I said, one of the boys had been killed instantly in the accident. Steve, who was on the same bike was, with Aaron, was essentially in the same condition as Aaron. Um, 
So they monitored brain pressure. That was the major kind of indicator of what they were watching. They told my parents the third day would be the worst. Um, the third day, Steve passed. And my mom had seen what his numbers were like on that brain pressure monitor. And Aaron's were getting there. They were very close. Um, a friend of ours from school who worked at Grant at the time called my parents, said we'd like to organize a prayer vigil for Aaron. So they did, and they asked my parents to come. My mom didn't want to leave because she knew what had happened to Steve. She knew Aaron's numbers were close, and she just felt very strongly if she left that she would not be there for Aaron's passing. So the nurse promised, I'll do, I'll come get you as soon as anything happens. The nurse did show up toward the end of the prayer vigil. We had probably 200 people there in a chapel at, at Grant. The nurse came to say her, her numbers have like fallen through the basement. And so that was kind of the beginning of, of Aaron starting to make progress. Obviously it was very slow progress. She stayed in the hospital, whether at Grant or in a step-down unit, and then at Dodd Hall at Ohio State for therapy. Uh, she was there until January of 2000 is when she finally was able to come home. And so those, those injuries that were sustained in the accident impacted what? So at the time Aaron was sent home, they did not believe she had any broken bones, really. Now, mind you, she had been thrown 60 feet into a field. They knew she had an open book pelvis fracture. So basically, her pelvis had popped open. She had a plate kind of holding, she has a plate holding her pelvis stable, but they had not indicated any other broken bones. Her brain was just scrambled. I mean, you think of the brain and the skull and just literally scrambled. So when they sent her home, they handed my parents, the social worker handed my parents a list of facilities where they could send Aaron for long-term care. And they told my parents they needed to look at the list and they needed to select a facility to place Aaron in because she would drain them financially, physically, mentally. Um, at the time Aaron came home from the hospital, she had a feeding tube. She wasn't able to eat. She was incontinent, so she was in diapers. She wasn't able to support herself at all. Um, I have some old videos, and I'll try to find them for you, of Erin sitting in a wheelchair, basically with her head down, drooling. And I think even when she first came to Marcus, she was still drooling quite a lot, and she just kind of rubbed her mouth all the time. And there was no speech. There was very little indicator that she knew what was going on around her. Um, my parents respectfully took that list and deposited it. Um, their attitude has always been, this is our daughter. This is what God has given us, and we're going to do the best we can to care for her. So did she ever show any recognition of your parents, you know, like in the hospital or when she first came home? Very like, little. Okay. There was very little. She would track a little bit with her eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, she would squeeze your hand if you asked her to. Um, my parents live in a, well, at the time they lived in a four story home to get to the first story of the house. You had to go up a flight of stairs. Aaron's bedroom was in the third story. So our church gracious, graciously came in and rehabbed the whole lower level of the house so that they basically had a handicapped suite and, you know, a shower that was accessible that my mom could bathe her in. And my mom spent those days sleeping on a pullout couch in that room. 
at some point, not terribly long after Erin came home, she got sick and she wasn't able to hold anything down. She was on something like 30 medications when she came home from the hospital. She wasn't able to keep those medications down over these couple days that she had the stomach bug. At the tail end of that, she mouthed to my mom that she wanted oatmeal. My mom didn't put her back on most of those medications, and today she's only on one. Um, so that was the beginning of my mom kind of saying, okay, we have to figure this out too, and we have to figure out how to do what's best for our daughter. And Aaron started to really kind of wake wake up, I guess, for lack of a better word, after those medications weren't in her system. So you look at this situation and from a physical standpoint, you, there's this like checklist of things that your parents have to do every day. But there's also a mental thing that's going on that whole time. And how, how did you and them deal with all of that? Um, it's incredibly mentally challenging. Our family has a strong foundation of faith. Um, one of the most striking things to me through the whole experience, and at the time, um, my younger brother had been kind of a hotshot basketball player. He had gotten a lot of news coverage, and so the news really picked up on Aaron's story as well, and they kind of connected Sam's basketball team playing in the state tournaments to the story with Aaron, and so she got a lot of she got a lot of news coverage. Um, and I remember my dad saying to the reporter, she had asked him a question regarding the man that had hit him. And my dad said, by the grace of God, I could have, I could have done that to somebody because my dad in his younger years did things that he could have very easily been in that situation. And I remember my dad saying, I don't hate the man that hurt her. I don't, you know, by the grace of God, I could have been there. And I remember and my dad told my mom, he said, we have made the decision that God is the Lord of our life as a family. He's either in charge of it all or he's in charge of none of it, which means this happened to Aaron. We don't know why God allowed this to happen to Aaron, but he did. And we're going to trust his purpose in this. And we're going to trust that he's going to carry us through. And that's been my parents' overriding mindset throughout this whole situation. And so I was 20 at the time of the accident. My youngest sister was 12. You know, that's the, so that's a strong statement for a parent to make in front of his young family to say, this terrible thing has happened. We're going to deal with it now. And we're going to just trust that God is going to lead us through this valley that he has given us. So, so that's what helped you mentally as a family kind of get through it all. And you have this basic needs checklist just to get Aaron through a day. At some point, you guys made the decision that she needed more than that. She needed something to bring a spark back to her. Um, and so what was that process like to figure that out? So the field of brain injury is a... In some ways, it's a black hole, you know, like there's not a lot of information in some regards. And in some regards, there's a ton of information, uh, especially 20 years ago. It was different than it is now. Had this happened now, it would have probably been an entirely different circumstance. And 
You talk about the day-to-day needs. My mom did it all. My mom took care of all the day-to-day needs. Um, She didn't bring in help. Um, She didn't. She did it. And my grandmother helped some. um, But she bore the load of it. My dad was still working. You know, she, she did it. And... You know, to go back to to just trusting that God was going to pull them through, people would send things in the mail to my mom to say, this happened to us and this is what we tried. And my parents' attitude was, okay, we'll tr- we will try whatever God places before us because we don't know. And honestly, the doctors were only giving limited guidance at this point. Um, so one of the first things she did was, was water therapy. And at that point she couldn't support herself, you know, her body weight, but she had been a scuba diver, scuba diver as a young person. And so she was, she was very comfortable in the water and it's amazing what the body remembers, even though the brain is not functioning completely. So she loved the swimming and she was able to kind of start out with that from a physical therapy standpoint. Then she proceeded into, you know, your traditional physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. Um, She was put on a drug to help her memory. It was an Alzheimer's drug. And there there was no communication between the doctor and the therapist. And once you hit a plateau in physical therapy, insurance says, okay, we're not gonna keep paying for this anymore. Well, there was no communication from the doctor to say this drug that we have her on is going to affect her physical abilities and it's going to cause her to seem like she's at a plateau. But so long story short, her physical therapy was cut off. And obviously my parents knew that this was something that she needed. Um, so they knew that she had been an athlete working out with something that she loved to do. And at some point, they just decided, what if we got her a personal trainer? What if we just got someone? By this point, she was able to walk. She was able to m- communicate. I mean, still, her communication is is hard to understand sometimes. Um, but she was able to get around. She had balance issues. Um, so I was working at, out at a world gym at the time. And we approached a couple different trainers at the gym that I kind of knew through just being there and asked if they would be willing to take Erin on as a client. Well, nobody wanted to touch her because of the liability. Um, So around that time, and I don't know how the conversation came about, but Erin's volleyball coach from Ohio Northern, who, side note, is the only person from her past who consistently still to this day shows up sends her gear every year, makes sure to come visit her a couple times a year. Um, The only one. He somehow connected with my mom that he knew this kid who had just graduated from Otterbein, um, was trying to get going as a trainer. Maybe we should call him. So this is how... So you called the kid. So we called the kid. And I still call him a kid. (laughs) It's cool. (laughs) You're like a couple years younger than me, so you're still... So that's how we found Marcus. Again, it was very much my parents just saying, okay, we're going to go where God leads us. And this is where he brought us. And so, Marcus, you're approached uh, to be the personal trainer of this person who's been through this traumatic injury. You've had all this training. 
Um, but I'm sure that this is something you've never done before. And your kid. <laughs> <laughs> what What were your thoughts? When I was approached with the opportunity to, to train and work with Aaron, it was, you're right, it was something that I had never experienced before. I came out of this education, training more um, athletes, sport athletes, which I actually, this is another story, a different, different route, but I used to work with Charlie, which is your brother. And so when Amy and her husband, Matt, and her mom approached me to work with Aaron, I said, you guys, like, I, you look really familiar. I, I think I know you. I think I worked with your brother a little bit while I was doing an internship in college. Um, very athletic family. Her brother was a, was a, was a stud football player as well. But um, so I, that's, that was my background. I trained athletes and I trained, you know, people that wanted to look better and lose weight and things like that. So this was out of my scope. But I was a kid. And I had that grit mindset and that grit attitude. And I was like, bring it on. I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I'm going to do the best that I can. And I remember, um, her mom gave me a great background of everything, what you just heard. And, and to be honest with you, Amy, um, you know, that was probably the, the second or third time I've ever heard that story. And, um, it just, it just makes me tear up every time I hear that. And I sat, I remember sitting, I remember sitting down in your mom's house and you guys showing me the news footage of this accident and, um, you showing me the pictures of Ohio Northern volleyball. And it was just, it captivated me. And at that point, I, I remember going home that night and said, I'm, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to change, I'm going to change this girl's life. Like this, this could be a great opportunity for her. And and uh, I, I knew step one, Scott, I knew that I needed to help her get back to activities of daily living. They're called ADLs. I did some, I did some um, uh, internships in college with some physical therapists, and their job is to get people back to activities of daily living. Once those are met, that's kind of their checklist. They're done. And... I wanted I wanted more for Aaron. Hearing the passion in Amy's voice and her mom's voice when they sat down with me, they they did not stop. They wanted more for her, and and, and I I just jumped on board with that with that mindset and that attitude. And and I remember going back to the story. I remember coaching her for the first time, and I had a little rag in my pocket, mm-hmm. and she would drool, and I would just hand her the rag, and she, you know she would wipe her mouth. So. We, we, we developed this relationship way beyond trainer and, and, and client, you know, and, um, when I first started training her, I would have to hold what's called a gate belt. Uh, they gave me, you guys gave me this gate belt, which it, it kind of attaches to a, a person and you hold on to it to assist them in walking. And I would have to hold on to her for 40 minutes, you know, as she did her little exercises. And, and I think I think one thing, the mindset that I had, Scott and Amy, was that I, I'm not going to treat her any different. I'm going I'm to I'm coach her and train her within her limits, and we're going to get better. So at what point was this, though, in the timeline when Marcus started working with? It's been 15, almost 15 years. Yeah. She, she, she to Aaron, to this day, is the longest athlete and client that I've ever had, that I've ever re- retained uh, personally. Um, 
so it's been yeah it's 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 been mid teens 15 years so that would have been 2000 it was probably 2003 2004 somewhere around there yeah i think it was like early 2000s i started working with her I was going to say, you know, Marcus talks about getting her back to, you know, daily functional activities. The other component of that is you reach a certain point in a process like this where there's not going to be significant improvement as far as mental cognition, that kind of thing. And you start looking at things that are quality of life activities. You know, Erin could very easily sit in her room and do nothing all day. My parents could very easily. She's very fortunate that as a result of her accident, she was awarded a trust fund. You know, it's not enough money that she's like, you know, living on a, in a mansion on a hill, but it's enough money that they are able to provide her with opportunities beyond what your insurance company is going to say you can do. So, you know, for Aaron, coming to work out with Marcus is a quality of life deal. You know, she was, and I don't mean to embarrass Marcus, but, you know, she was 22, 23 years old when she started working out with Marcus. And, you know, she just loves Marcus to pieces. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was around before Janessa. And thank God Janessa was super sweet and, you know, is super kind about letting Aaron just flirt away with Marcus. Um, little back massages here. Right. Yep. Those are the best. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And she's equal opportunity. I mean, she'll give you one too. (laughs) Um, but you know, just the joy that she gets beyond the physical benefit. And I will say, and, and again, I don't mean to give him a hard time about being a kid, but let me ask you how many 22, 23 year old kids are going to be comfortable with what is an adult woman who doesn't act like an adult woman because her mindset is, you know, somewhere in the, I don't know, toddler years. Um, especially early on, it was not uncommon for her to have an accident while she was working out. And I remember the first time that happened thinking, oh gosh, how's he going to react to this? And he didn't skip a beat. Like we got it taken care of. We moved on. It still happens occasionally. We're learning how to deal with it. But I remember how striking that was to me as her sister at the time thinking, oh, gosh, like this could be a really major moment. And for him to kind of I think it's really rare for for someone of that age to be able to set that aside and recognize the big picture and continue doing what's best for the person inside of some of the like inconveniences and the embarrassments, I think was just a really special thing for Aaron and for my family. Well, that was kind of my next question. You know, I've, I've been around the story kind of on the, on the outside and seen bits and pieces of it. And so I know the highlights, like all the good things that have come from this, but I'm sure there were frustrations and moments where things weren't going as planned. Like how many times did you have to self-correct Marcus in that process? Like, cause you're trying to figure it out as, as you're, you're learning on the fly. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a trial and error with, with some certain exercises or certain athletic positions. I would have her uh, just see if she was able to hold those positions to be safe. Number one. But I, I remember um, one thing that was, was, was glaringly different is everything had to be seated. Every single exercise had to be seated. So I had to, I had to 
go into my school of thought and my training and my education and say, how can we, how can we work and stimulate these muscles from these certain positions? Because it was just from a safety standpoint, she just couldn't get into certain athletic positions or workout positions. And, um, and I'm sure we'll get into it later as far as her progress, <laughs> you know, we'll touch on that later, I'm assuming, but, um, but it was challenging, but I, but I, I just, I never, I never felt at a loss. I never felt, it was just, I was very open minded. Uh, she was too. I mean, she's a great client. She's a great athlete. She leaves every day. And says, she can you make leaves, it harder the next She leaves time? <laughs> every day. And she was like, can I do more? Can I, can you make it harder? And, and, when she would say those things and, the, and the, my, my trainer mentality was like, yes, I can make it harder. But at the same time I had to keep her safe, yeah. you know? And, uh, and, and I would have people walk through the gym and they would, they would ask me, they would say, Hey, I, I noticed that you're working with, with that girl over there. What's her name? I would mention her name and, and they, their, her, their first, their second question or their first question I should say would be, does she have cerebral palsy? That was always the first kind of assumption that people would make that she had CP. And I would say, no, actually she was in a, in a horrific drunk driving accident. She was struck by a drunk driver. Uh, you know, two of her friends died and people's people would just, their eyes big, teary, you know, and they would just, I would, I'll say a prayer for her. I will say a prayer for you that you continue to offer her assistance and help. And, and you start, you start seeing people's character and people started cheering her around the gym. You know, they, she would walk in, it would be, you know, to use a silly parallel, it'd be like Norm from Cheers, you know, it'd be like, Hey, Aaron, like everybody knew who she was. And when she came in, you know, that every other day at 9 a.m., like everybody knew she was. So her quality of life just beyond what she could do was, 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 it was a sky high at that moment and it still continues. I mean, people, newer athletes at our gym, they're still asking me questions and we have her article, uh, written, written, uh, from a local newspaper here in Columbus, the Columbus dispatch. We have that posted probably in our gym and people, you know, they'll, they'll take a gander at that and look at that. So it just, it continues to impact people's lives, you know, 15 years later. Well, it's funny you said you, you wanted to treat her like everybody else. One of my first um, times meeting Erin was she, you and her had got into a little conflict during a workout, and she didn't like what you were doing. And she's yelling at you, and you're like, do you trust me? Yeah. Do you trust me? And she's like, bah, 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 you know, and it was like, yes. It, it, she's just like, we act to you when, we, when we're upset with <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember those days. I remember those days where she, uh, she would not listen as much or she would want to do more and things like that. And I had to keep her safe. I had to keep her safe. So I just, I just roll with it and I kind of make a joke about it, you know, and I laughed and gave her a high five and, and things like that. And, um, and it, it took her a while, uh, maybe from part of the brain injury, you know, I'm not too educated in that and that, but it took her a while to kind of maybe trust what I was doing. And, and then she, uh, when, when that barrier was broken, man, I mean, I mean, she comes in here now, she's giving me back rubs. Like Amy said, she's giving me hugs. She's asking me to make it harder. She, you know, I told her to speed up and she does it. I mean, she is probably, uh, of all the athletes, she's probably the, the most, uh, the, the better listener, if you would. Yeah, for sure. She's the most compliant. Well, I know Marcus, one of the things that we always talk about as coaches, that it's always, um, the relationship building is super important. Um, and that it just definitely highlights that in this situation that it's, you know, the moving safe, you know, that people need to, 
be able to trust you before they're able to to take on those cues and to be able to listen. But I think this just story helps highlight that it's also it's about moving safe into doing that, but it's also all about the relationships, you know, and the relationship that you and Aaron and her family have built um, to not only improve her life physically, but also emotionally and mentally. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, I, I de- definitely back what you just said there. And uh, she, she, once she trusted me, it was it was game changer. Like I could I could feel that after however much, however much time I, I worked with her, I could just feel this trust starting to build and this relationship starting to build. And, um, and now, I mean, honestly, if I told her to run head first through a brick wall in the gym, she would do it. Like she would do it. And so it's that trust factor. It's li- li- just, just be coachable, listen to your coaches and, and, and trust the process. Well, I think too, one thing with Aaron, um, there are so many side effects that are common with brain injury. We have not dealt with a lot of them. For example, seizures are very common, and Aaron's never had a single seizure. Um, temper issues are a big deal, though. Um, and redirection tends to be the best way to deal with that because she doesn't remember in two minutes what she was mad about. Uh, so it's not uncommon in our house for someone to say something like, Uh, For example, she drinks coffee all day long. She wants to drink nothing but coffee. And so when you try to get her to drink water and she doesn't want water, it's not uncommon for us to be like, well, Marcus said to drink water (laughs) because Marcus's name carries weight with Aaron. It It doesn't matter what I say or what my parents say, but if Marcus told her to do that, she'll most likely do that. Um, but to touch on the relationship, you know, we've known each other a long time. We've come through a lot. With Aaron, you know, Marcus has always been super willing to be challenged, you know, as a professional. He's traveled. She did some work um, in Florida, some some biofeedback work, and Marcus was willing to come down and kind of go to some of those appointments with us, talk to therapists. Um, you know, he's he's gone above and beyond to really figure out how he can help her. And... You know, for Aaron, there's not a lot of community. For us, you know, we go to work or we go different places and we have different friend groups. And for Aaron, that's just challenging because her memory, you know, we've tried different day programs and whatnot. And she just, because of the memory issues, it's really hard. But when she comes in here and people recognize her, and I'm learning to deal with this because I, tend to care a little bit more about, you know, stupid things than Aaron does, you know, oh, what's somebody going to think if she like gives them a back rub or because she has no idea of personal space or is it going to make someone uncomfortable if Aaron's standing right in their face cheering for them? And I'm having to get over that a little bit because that's Aaron's way of contributing to the community. And for her to have that even beyond just the physical part you know, is, is cool for her. And it's part of that quality of life that she's able to get through, through shred. And so we've talked about the struggles at the beginning, um, and some of the, the learning process going through this, you know, today I'm out there watching Erin and she looks so strong. She's super strong, so strong. And um, way, way different than what's described as someone who could only do seated movements. Well, and, and I forgot to say, Scott, when, when they handed my parents those documents when Aaron came home, they told them she will be a vegetable for the rest of her life, is what they said. Well, we have proven that wrong. She has. <laughs> and so uh, there's going to be video footage running during this interview that you'll see that that is completely wrong. Um, so we, we're here today. Right. She's she's working out 
more, better, stronger, faster than she ever has before. Um, so, so where are we today? Yeah. So we, we go from seated everything. And so we went seated everything. And my, my, my plan for her over the first couple of years was just to develop a base of fitness, right? Aerobically as best as I could, uh, with a seated athlete. And I lobbied for at the time where I was working for a, uh, UBE bike, which stands for upper body extremity, um, where you just basically sit and roll with your arms. It's like a bicycle for your arms. And, um, the facility I was working on never purchased one. And I mean, I, I, I didn't see their numbers. I didn't see their budget, whatever, but I was pretty taken aback that they would not do that. Anyway, that's another story, but, um, but I lobbied for that anyway. Um, so my first goal for the first couple of years was just to get, develop a base of fitness and get her range of motion back. She had a lot of what you guys refer to as contracture contractures, where it was almost like she was protecting herself. Yes. She would protect herself, uh, it, for whatever reason, you know, the accident or something. It was just a muscle tightness issue yeah. because there was so much not non usage, um, mm-hmm. so she had, I think it was her left arm that was just yeah. in a constant kind of bent left, yep. position. And so we had to really work to get that to relax. And you don't even, some of this stuff really you forget about because like you've just kind of moved through and it's like when you see your kid every day, you don't realize how much they grew until, but somebody who doesn't see them for six months. Um, so yeah, that was yep. a constant. So it was like range of motion, a base of fitness to her capacity and a range of motion. I needed to help her open up her arms, stretch out her shoulders. We did a lot of stretching for the first couple of years. Like I would pick this corner in the gym and I would put a, put a mat down and I would literally partner stretch her, her legs, her arms, her chest, her, sh- I mean, everything, her back, every, everything that we did, it was with partners. I would stretch her for 30 minutes and then we would do 30 minutes of little exercises here and there. Um, that was like the, for, for the first couple of years. Um, so it was range of motion, base of fitness. And then we started to build the strength a little bit, a lot of seat seated, still a lot of machines where she was seated. And then once she developed a little base of strength, I started working on a lot of her balance. So one legged, um, stances like kind of slips, tra- what we call today is slips training. Um, scales, not inversion. I didn't have her go upside down at this point. Still never have. Maybe that's my next goal. Um, uh, slips, uh, L stands for L sits like core strength from an L sit kind of gymnastic standpoint. Uh, P is uh, planks. So a lot of planks, side planks, front planks, man, planks all the time for her. And she would say, I would say 30 seconds and she'd, she would look up at me and she's I could do a minute. You know, she would literally get this scour on her face. I'm like, okay. And if geez. she faltered before that, she would start over. And so, yes. And I would give her these goals. I say, Aaron, okay, if you can't hold for a minute, then, then you have to do this or you have to give me a back rub. I made it fun. I made it like a game for her, you know? And, um, and she darn it if she wouldn't hold it for a minute, you know? And, and then, uh, so I made it fun for her. I made it, made it like a game, like a challenge. Um, so, so it was a lot of bounce, a lot of stability ball work, a lot of BOSU ball work. Um, a lot of just walking after going to Florida with you. It was a lot of balance training and walking and things like that. Just basic walking. Um, 
And then, and then once, once she started to get a grasp on that, then I started get putting some free weights in her hands. She started using dumbbells and, and it took her a while to kind of control the dumbbells a little bit, but now, I mean, she was using them today and, and she's doing, uh, walking lunges today, little bit of assistance. I went from holding on to the gate belt to her holding on to my hand. And now I use, you know, a, a, a instrument like a PVC pipe or a broomstick or something like that. And I'm a far away from her. It's got a little give to it and she'll hold on to that and she'll do walking lunges and she does squats. Uh, she does deadlifts. I mean, these are all with weights on, you know, using, using free weights. Um, it's just, it's just been fantastic to watch that growth, but, but I, I like, I like the inversion. <laughs> I like that. That's coming up next. She still struggles sometimes if she's in the gym with other people and she sees people lifting heavier weights and she thinks she should be able, and she's strong. It's amazing what your body retains even through such a traumatic accident. Um, Strength-wise, she could probably, she could totally do more. It's just a, this balance issue that really throws her off. So Marcus does have to talk her down sometimes because she wants to do heavier. That competitor in her wants, yes, to, wants yes, to do it. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I see that coming out yeah. in her athletic endeavors and all her accolades. I mean, I, I see that in her and, 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 and you see it, I know you see it. She just, she, well, has she that. certainly doesn't want to get beat by me. <laughs> so you know, there's been some funny stories. There's been some funny stories over the year. Cause you know, Amy, Amy just very kindly brings her sister to the gym and she, and Amy gets her workout in. So I've developed a great relationship with Amy as, as athlete and coach over the years as well. And Amy's done a fantastic job and, and, uh, they, they've gone at it a few times verbally, like uh, who's deadlifting more and things like that. So Aaron is super strong and, and Amy is too, for sure but it's been fun. It's been fun to watch for sure. The growth of that. Well, and that's, that's one of the things that's really cool, right? They come as a family. It's something that now you guys do as a whole family. Your mom comes, you come, Aaron comes and you all get your workout in at the same time. And it's, it's that little community. And it's, so what does that mean to you to be able to do that with your sister and mom? So to be completely transparent, um, you know, a few years after I graduated from college, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Amy and I actually knew each other in a past life when I spent a few very miserable for me months working in a daycare and God graciously provided a way for me to make a little bit of money and help my family. So um, I officially work as Aaron's aide. So I don't do it completely out of kindness. I do get paid <laughs> to do it. Um, you know, so I'm here. I'm kind of here to pay attention in case she, you know, is doing something that makes us a little nervous. It's also good because if she goes home and she's sore somehow, you know, there are body sorenesses and there's, oh, well, she's probably sore because of this move. So that kind of helps me to know like, oh, yeah, we did this at the gym. So she's probably sore from that versus she's sore because of something else. So that's helpful. Um so for me to be able to work as her aide, to be available, I mean, I'm basic, my parents live right next door to me. Aaron lives next door to me. Um, I will become Aaron's guardian when my parents are no longer able. For me, I feel like that's what God has, that's the purpose that God has given me. And so that's super special for me. It's super special that I have a husband that's willing to take that on with me. Um, you know, to just, to be in a position where I can say, okay, I'm available for whatever you need, whenever you need it. Um, 
yes, I get benefit out of it too, obviously. Um, but I think there are so many instances in the world around us where people are willing to put their responsibilities aside. And the example that my parents started with in the beginning of this to say, this is our daughter. For me to be able to say, this is my sister. We're going to take care of her. And my brothers feel the same way. You know, she will never go to a home as long as it's within our physical ability to care for her. I think is really a gift. It's a gift for her because had she been put somewhere at the beginning, she wouldn't be where she is now. She'd be sitting in a chair somewhere withering away. And for her to be, you know, the example my parents set and saying, that's not good enough kind of set up the whole rest of her story to say it's valuable to her to give her these really good quality of life experiences. And hey, bonus, it's really good for her health that she's doing this, regardless of the fact that it's just bringing her joy. You know, it's good for her physically. She's as healthy as, you know. And my parents got to the point where the doctor said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. Um, He's not around anymore. Uh, But... You know, God has really blessed us and and really laying in front of our family things that are really good for Aaron. And so that's just a really special thing to be a part of, to know that God is really honoring this. And Aaron has had the opportunity to really affect a lot of people. My mom does a lot of uh, speaking at high schools around prom time for prom promise. I think you've been to one of those to see, you know, for Aaron to come up and, and my mom to share Aaron's story and then Aaron to be able to say, you know, don't drink and drive. Um, you know, Aaron has been used. And I've heard my parents say they're not sure they would change it. They would not. They're not sure they would go back and change it if they could because we don't always get to see what God is doing through someone's story. We're fortunate that we've seen a lot of it. And we've seen a lot of ways that Aaron's been a, been a positive influence in a lot of people's lives so it's just it's a cool thing to be a part of it's a cool thing to be able to watch God's plan unfold yeah, I, I just want to say that around the, the prom promise um, they they invited me to a prom promise that her mother Debbie spoke at and, um, and I, I'll never forget when I went there uh, Debbie just goes into detail about the accident you know, this, this is my daughter and the, goes into details big time. I mean, these, these high school kids are captivated, right? And the very tail end of her speech, she asked, cause everybody, everybody's has this thought in their mind that maybe Aaron had died at the very end of her speech. She asks Aaron to stand up and walk out and the whole place the whole high school gymnasium is just a pin drop. And these 16, 17 year old kids, I mean, it is, it is impactful. And if that helps save a life or lives of kids drinking and driving at that age or getting into some stuff, it's, I mean, you know, that that's God's plan. And she's had many come up to her after and say, I was was planning to drink at prom and I'm not going to now. So, so it sounds like from your story that your family, you know, has forgiven that this drunk driver um, for that. What what was the resolution as far as court? Like what what happened to? So 
obviously two boys were killed in the accident. Aaron was injured for life. He received 10 years in prison. Um, he was known as the town drunk. <laughs> um, he's so obviously he's out of prison now. But there's this decision that you have to make. Are you going to focus on this person who's going to do, that's going to do no good to Aaron, right? I mean, if you focus your anger and your energy on this person, or are you going to focus on Aaron? So really, I mean, I remember when he got out of prison, my mom saying, because he lives, lived kind of in the area where my parents live, like, what if I ran into him at the grocery store or something like that? But really, our family doesn't give him a lot of thought. I mean, we've got other things to worry about. You know, you're, I remember, because I was working with Aaron, when he, you guys knew when he was going to get out of jail. And I remember, I remember um, you guys bringing in Aaron to the gym, and your mom was talking about, like, he was going to get out of jail soon. And she said, you know, he's going to get out of jail this, this week. And that was all she said. That was the last thing she ever said about him. And that, that's a testament to the energy and the focus and the prayers going towards Aaron and not focusing the energy on something, something negative that somebody did for sure. And, and I think that's a valuable lesson for everybody to, to kind of learn that, you know, don't let someone live rent free in your, in your headspace. Uh, and just focus on what you can you can focus on. So I'm just going to finish up with one more question and one comment. And uh, as we're we're approaching that hour now, is uh, you've done all this with Aaron at at the gym with with Marcus. Are there things that you do at home with her that are very similar that give her like a purpose at home and and things to do? So the really cool thing that is happening right now um, is she and my ten year old daughter are like. BFFs all of a sudden, um, which is cool because there's always the question. I mean, Aaron's as healthy as physically. She's incredibly healthy. What happens to Aaron when I'm no longer able to care for her? And my 10-year-old has told me lately a couple times, Mom, I just think that when you die and she's very, you know, 10-year-olds don't care. She actually was like, when you, um, she's like, I just feel like I'll take care of Aaron. Um, so my parents just built a new house. They live next door to us. We just put in a pond between the house. So Hannah, my 10 year old and Aaron will spend literally hours floating around the pond together. Um, Aaron loves her dog. Yes, it is. It's 20 years past Aaron's accident. There's not going to be dramatic improvement. And really it's yet to be determined. She just turned 40 this year. We all know that our bodies start like crapping out when we're 40. Uh, so will that, will that happen to Aaron? I'm sure it will to an extent. It's also been determined. And I didn't mention this. She was having some knee issues, some other stuff. It was determined later and just in the last five years or so that she did in fact have broken legs. So she has some arthritis in her knees her jaw was broken, so she had to have surgery on her jaw to have that refixed, her hand. So she's starting to struggle with some arthritis issues um, from those. And I think at the time, they just were so focused on keeping her alive, A, or B, didn't think she was actually going to live, that they didn't, that those things just slipped through the cracks. So, you know, we're not at the point in this journey where we're going to see dramatic improvements. So, yes, it's all about quality of life things. 
Um, she loves animals, so she has her dog that she just loves. She loves to feel like she is a con- contributing factor in the family, which of course we all we all want, right? We all want to be able to contribute. So you know, she does little mindless odd jobs, picking up sticks, or you know, things that may seem silly to somebody else, but it's something that she's able to do to feel like she's contributing. She thinks she's babysitting Hannah. Hannah thinks she's babysitting Aaron. You know, it's good for both of them. them. Um, You know, Hannah gives her a manicure and I'm really enjoying right now. This is a new development in our family. I'm really enjoying my kid having to kind of having somebody to pour herself into. Um, Aaron likes to just go all the time. Um, She likes to go out to eat. She likes to just be moving all the time. So those are the things we do just to kind of keep her. She likes to play cards. She likes to play checkers, things that are really, you know, she does puzzles on her iPad, stuff like that. That doesn't require a lot of fine motor skill because she doesn't have that. But um, just we call it exercising her brain a little bit. So that's kind of a good segue to the comment I wanted to make. Um, You know, I haven't been through all this that you guys have. I I met Aaron in 2011. Uh, It's 2020. And uh, today, my only regret is I missed getting this on video. And it was that Aaron was dancing as we were getting ready for the warm up. And she was dancing with joy, um, big smile on her face. Um, It was it lit me up when I saw that today. And um, it was so good seeing where she's come because I don't see her every day. You know, you guys work out in the morning. I'm usually at work. Uh, I got to see her today. And man, the strides she has made are monumental. And I don't mean to override your, your comment, but that probably is one of the biggest gifts out of all this. So many people in Aaron's situation struggle with anger. Um, Aaron is fortunate that she doesn't remember what she was like before her accident. She can tell you in a sense, but it's not so much that she remembers as that she's just heard stories of what she was like, but she's joyful. And she's not angry. I mean, she has some like temper flare up issues, but it's not an overriding sense of anger. Aaron has an overriding sense of joy. And that's a gift. You know, that's a very gracious gift that was given to my parents and to my family. Because dealing with this, if Aaron was angry and um, bitter, would be a totally different story. But she's joyful. She brings joy to so many other people. And it's just really a testament to God's goodness in her life and in my family's life. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to end this. So I want to thank you both for joining us. Um, Man, what a story. I I had chills. I have never heard the full story. So that was my first time through. I'm glad that Marcus cried and not me. (laughs) It's par for the course. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) So uh, we wish we wish Aaron the, the best of luck in Thank moving you. forward and hope, you know, that she can keep moving through all this. And Pretty sure you'll be working out together when you're both like yeah. 85, maybe. We, I don't know. We always joke. We're, we're Aaron and I are basically the same age. Mm-hmm. And we always we always joke with one another, like, are you still going to be doing this or are you going to be deadlifting more than me when we are when we're 45? And it's kind of a little running joke. that She'll we be have, here so. as long as you will have her. So. Well, I want to thank you and thank our audience for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Shred Podcast and the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. Bye. Thanks, guys.
Thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends Podcast. Remember, you can find us now on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.